0: unexplained phenomena, unknown entities, unidentified flying objects, mythical creatures and secret conspiracies. This radio show presents information based on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to present some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. You're listening to the Paranormal Pulse podcast. Now, let's get this show
1: on the road.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paranormal Pulse podcast. Tonight I have a very special co-host with me. She is my partner in crime, my lovely wife, Jennifer. Hi, Jen. Hi. So, for those out there who've listened to the show, you know that our EKG team is a small team, and that we... A lot of the investigations, especially the stuff where we travel, is just uh, myself and Jennifer, um, or myself and Jennifer and Rick, stuff that's more local. Um, you know, and occasionally we might have someone else with us, you know, um, whether it be Chris or who, you know, whoever. But for the most part, it's, it's me and Jennifer and, and, you know, and like I said, and Rick. But you guys really don't know Jennifer that much or that well, I should say. You've heard me talk about her on the show. So we're going to kind of introduce you to who she is, how she got started in all this, um, how she differs than I do on investigations. So, Jen, in in tell everybody how you got interested in the paranormal.
0: It's always been there. Um, when I was four years old, I had my first... Um, experience with it and it was unusual in the fact that it wasn't just me who had an experience my mom and my grandmother also had it at the same time um my great-grandmother had just passed away and um according to what my mom has told me there was a sparkling that was coming out of the hall um in our in my mother in my grandmother's um Cape Cod house. So like when you would walk in, um if you walked into the front door, you would walk right into the living room and then the hallway where the bedrooms um were they would they branched off out in the back of the house. In that hallway right by where the thermostat was in between a closet door and the bathroom door, spark like the sparkling light came out of the closet. When we were sitting in the living room. We it was profiled so we weren't able to see um, that what there was in the hallway. I walked around, like I said, I was four years old. I walked around, and I said, Grandma. Um, my mom and my grandmother flanked me on either side, and we each saw something a little bit different. Now, my mom told me what she saw years later after denying that we had, I had actually seen what I thought I saw. What I saw was just a figure of light in the shape of my great-grandmother standing right in front of the thermostat. Um, what my mom saw later and told me about later was she saw my grandmother in, um, in a three-quarter profile. And my grandmother saw, it was her mom, saw her a full-body apparition. Um, and that's sort of where I got my interest in the paranormal. And I, you know, being a kid, they told me not to tell anybody, and I told everybody that I Could possibly get my hands on, so uh, and it's just something that's always stuck with me. You know that hey, I was this young; it happened really early, and it's something that's never gone away. I've always just said, "Hey, I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I believed it all my life."
2: Now, when we investigate, I'm very um, science oriented, Mm -hmm. where you get feelings. So tell everybody what you feel and and about your special ability, basically.
0: I'm sensitive to energy. So when I go and I investigate, I open myself up a little bit to see if I can feel anything around me. Um, Mostly it is for those people who don't have them. There are migraine sufferers in your audience, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. For the people who do get migraines, it's. The feeling in the back of your head when the skin starts to tighten right before the pain hits, um, that's what I get. And then I also feel like it's the chills, but I'm not cold. Um, the best way I can describe it is if you ever touch your the tip of your tongue to like a 9-volt battery and you get that little zing and all your hair stand up on your arms, that's what I also feel.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were just investigating um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. and you felt something and i saw you you had goosebumps all up and down yep. your arms mm-hmm. you know and that's something you know i don't really feel that sort of thing you know mm-hmm. even though i feel like i have a, a somewhat of an intuition it's not what you have
1: right.
2: um you've proven pretty accurate where we've been where you felt something to so take a picture and we've got things or you're like i feel something here and we've done evps um, you know you're also the researcher of the group yes you know how do you you know tell people because there are a lot of people who don't know what the research involves when you are say looking up uh, a history of a home or something like that you know tell people like where you start and, and how you go about the research
0: it's mostly being nosy um, I have a tendency when I am doing anything what if and that's my question, that's what I try to answer. What if this happened, or how did this happen? Um, so if, for example, I'm like we went to Salem, um, the family that we were trying to talk to was the Peel family, they were in the back corner of the old burial ground when we went this past weekend. And the way that I would go about trying to research them is trying to find them in newspapers, um, seeing if I can find maybe old deeds, old census reports, All of that stuff is online. It's all part it it's all exists out there. So you just sort of have to peel away the layers. It's like peeling away the layers of an onion and then eventually you find what you're looking for in the middle.
2: And you know, and and when we do homes, you can research things like the Mm -hmm. deeds and tax records and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of public records. Yep. Um now what which part of Investigating, do you like doing most? Do you like the research more you you like the field work um,
0: It depends on the day um, i I enjoy them both i There are times when i'm really really into going out and dragging out my dowsing rods and becoming that paranormal barometer to see if I can find something. There are other times when I prefer the the research to see if what i 'm picking up will actually pan out you know if i'm picking up that there's a female or that there's a presence there maybe we can try to identify it after the fact if we don't get anything through evps or anything like that
2: and that that is something that you have a, a really good ability with is dowsing rods mm-hmm. uh, They're fun. well you've said in the past that your favorite yes. paranormal tool to use they are. um what do you feel when you're using them They
0: act as an energy conductor for me. So it's like the energy is passing through me into the dowsing rods and then back into me. I don't know how to explain it any other way. It's like I become a circuit for whatever the energy is around me. Um, so, for example, we did um, the, an Indian fort, which is maybe like 45 minutes from our house. It, They were... Um, not an indian fort it was from it was, the revolutionary it was, war it was from the
2: french indian war french that's and an indian thing, war right. that's why i'm
0: thinking it was an indian fort um so we did that and we were doing we were i was using my dowsing rods and um i could actually feel the presence of somebody around me and it helped me conduct into the um into the session so we were able to utilize the dowsing the rods to get yes or no answers because that's pretty much all you can do with them.
2: Right, and and you got a ton of activity that day. Yes. Um, you know, and a lot of it matched up with the research for that location. So that was kind of cool. Now, in your in your... The reason... What is the basic reason why you like to investigate i mean i know some people are looking to see if there's definitive life after death other people are just um trying to recreate something they experienced when they were younger um some people just like the adventure behind it you know some people look at it as hardcore science and they want to they're researching so what's yours
0: it's gonna sound strange but i'm nosy I like to find out the answers why, like what happened, why were these people here, what brought them here, and what's making them cross my path at this particular moment. It sort of goes hand in hand with what I do for a living. I'm a recruiter, so I get to ask a lot of questions, which is also a benefit when you're doing paranormal investigating, you get to ask a lot of questions, and maybe sometimes you'll get an answer.
2: So it's the detective work.
0: Kind of. It's like putting a puzzle together for Mm. me. You know, I get to little bits and pieces of the history behind it. So there's always a record of certain things. Like, again, with Salem, there's the record of what happened. But you don't get the day-to-day experience of what it was like being there. And maybe I can if I ask the right question and I get somebody who wants to cooperate with me and give me an answer that I can hear.
2: Right right now what what's your which it's a similar question but not not directly with an investigation but what's your favorite part of the paranormal field in what regard well i mean there's more than just investigating there's a lot of friendships that we've made with people Mm -hmm. over the years and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. Um obviously, there are events we attend and and you know there 's obviously the, the paranormal reality t v show so what 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 would be the thing you enjoy most
0: I enjoy watching the shows um, one to see if we can find a new place to go mm-hmm. um, I like to tag along to the to the public places that people have been um and the other part for me is going to some of the conventions. It's meeting the Grant Wilsons. It's meeting the um, the Joshes and, and right you Josh know. Gates. Yes, and, and it's, it's meeting all of them. Thank you for that. Um, the, they really have made it okay to you know not be this little freaky person in the corner, you know, that sees ghosts every once in a while.
2: Right, and that yeah, that's true. I mean it's become very mainstream because mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, you know, ghost hunters and ghost adventures and whatnot. Um, like you said, you don't have to be shy and hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the old saying, they say that, you know, I mean, it, there are different statistics, but they say, you know, like two out of every three people have, have or believe in the paranormal and one out of every three have claimed to see, see a ghost. You know, and those, those numbers change depending on what survey went up. but That's the basic gist of it, okay. you know. Um, now, we've traveled. We've traveled to Florida, and we've been all around the, you know, uh, tri-state area here. We've been, you know, deep into Pennsylvania. We've been pretty much everywhere you could think of, Massachusetts and, you know, all up and down. Where, where... Where do you, what region, not necessarily a specific location, but what region do you find to be the most active?
0: I think it depends on the visitors that go. Okay. So places like Gettysburg, Salem, Massachusetts, when we were just there. Right. Because I think that the visitors act as a battery to keep the energy around. Um, so for me, those seem like the places where I've personally had the most
2: experiences
0: outside of my home.
2: Right. Right. And we have, we've had a lot of experiences in those areas and whatnot. Um, so let's get, let's go move on to that. Some of the places we've been. Okay. What's your single favorite location that we've investigated?
0: We need to move to Gettysburg. Which I'm quite sure you were going to figure out. Well, yeah. It's my favorite place in the, in the whole wide world.
2: Right. It really, it's, you know, it's, it's every investigator's dream because mm-hmm. literally you can just drop a pin on a map in Gettysburg and you're going to find something that's haunted. Mm-hmm. And there's activity. But what, what's, your, what's your single favorite spot there that we've done? We've done a bunch.
0: We have Culp's Hill. So. I feel like I've gotten the most, where I've seen the activity with my own two eyes, and I've heard it, and I felt it. I've been touched there. I've seen shadow people. I have, we had video of a shadow person crossing in front of us. I I just feel like that, for me, has been the most active place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that was the one where we kind of first saw our full body apparition, cool. you know. My second, year, first. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that 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 location for us was just amazing. We had so much happen in the span of like an hour, hour and a half. Um, I don't think I've, you know, I've been in other locations where they've been just as active, but not in that short span of time. No. You know, for me, you weren't on that investigation, but when we did Burlington uh, County Prison, I had just as much activity there, but it was over the course of five hours.
1: Right.
2: And, you know, where Culp's Hill, everything happened in such a short span of time. And in such a, you know, Culp's Hill, for people who haven't been there. Uh, it's where one of the battles of, of one of the skirmishes in Getty, in the Battle of Gettysburg took place. Um, It's not a big area, you know.
0: No, but it goes up. It does. So if... we have any history buffs who are listening, this was the fish hook. This was the part of the battle where the Union Army made a hook around the hill, kept the high ground, while the Confederate was trying to break through their lines. And it didn't work. So it's this, and that's sort of what we were seeing. I think when we were when we were there and we were observing, we were actually seeing Confederate soldiers trying to sneak up the path to get to the crest of the hill so that they could take the high ground.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's very strange because me and you were both there. We were probably within three or four feet of each other, and we both saw the apparition in the same place, but we both saw it differently. Right. To me, it looked like a soldier, um, and I, I, I think it would be Southern because the uniform looked gray to me, even though it was dark. Um, it looked like the soldier walked out, creeped, and put his hand over his eyes like he was looking uphill at us, and then disappeared. And you saw it differently.
0: Yeah, what I saw, it was an entire shadow figure. I couldn't discern any color or grayness. It didn't look like it was lighter to me. It was a dark patch... It was an even darker patch in the darkening evening. There was a lot of brush in this particular area, so it was getting darker quicker. We were also there close to the park's night, um, to the close of their night. Um, what I saw were figures that were darting across this path. Um, they were crouched down, like they were either trying to stalk up the hill or avoiding fire.
2: Right, right. And we were, and you know, when we were positioned, we were next to the monument, looking down downward uh, you know down the hill and it was very it's very tricky the terrain there so although I would have loved to have run down that hill I probably would have broke a knee or broke a leg because there's no way I could have run down that in, in total darkness like that mm-hmm. um but yeah that was pretty amazing and like you said we we were recording and just turning the video camera and we never saw it at the time but we saw it on tape there's just some type of shadow that walks right by the camera
0: in between you know, the two of us, because right. he had been, like he mentioned before, three or four feet away, closer to the monument than I was. I was in a um, a little clearing, and it literally walked between the two of us, and we never saw it.
2: Right, and that you know that that was pretty interesting when we played that back. You know, I think um, I
0: jumped up off the couch.
2: Yes, yeah we <laughs> yeah we were sitting in we were sitting in the living room watching it back on the computer and and. Yeah, you, you, had, you had much more reaction to it than I did. Mm-hmm. I think you noticed it before I did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what were, what were, are we, So we have Culp's Hill.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where else in Gettysburg?
0: That I seem to get the most reaction? I don't like Little Round Top. And he's laughing at me because he knew I was going to say that. He's leading me into these questions.
2: Sure, I'm leading the witness. Um, Guilty as charged.
0: It, there is a feel when you get to Little Round Top that completely creeps me out. I cannot do it at night. I did it once, and I ran to the car. Um, because I feel very vulnerable when I'm on there. I feel like I, there's a thousand guns aimed at me, and they're going to all shoot me at once.
2: Well, and, and, you know, if you remember, the first time we went there... We drove up there, we parked the car, and you're like, forget it, I can't do this. Because you were so overwhelmed with emotion.
1: Yep.
0: And that's what it was. I felt like I was going to be shot at any given second, standing there.
2: You know, and then then we went back, and and you, like a trooper, you got out, and we did the investigation up there. Fast. And it was really interesting because you had noticed something by one of the cannons. You felt something. We took a picture and we got this interesting ball of light by the cannon, and it's interesting that it's not—it's not an orb, a dust orb, so to speak. It's a ball of light. Um, you know, anybody knows—he knows I'm not huge on orbs. This was a little different. You know, it, it just looked different. It wasn't your typical dust orb that no, you that see. No, that was Culps Hill. No, we have the cannon as well.
0: Okay, I forgot about I forgot mm-hmm. all about that. Then I remember Culps Hill because I remember coming up, saying, "There's something following me up the hill. Take a picture." Right. And you did, and we caught that ball of light.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also have we also have the one by the cannon on uh, Little Roundtop.
0: I forgot all about that.
2: Yeah. Um, but Little Roundtop at night takes on a far different feeling. It's more ominous in the dark than it is during the day. You know, and the fact that it's looking out over Devil's Den and, you know. Um, and it's very weird because when you're up there on Little Round Top, you can look down. Okay, and we're back. We had a little technical difficulty there. Um, so we were talking about Little Round Top. Um, and just that ominous feeling you get when at night it's... And like I started to say before... It's really interesting because you're investigating. You're all the way on top of Little Round Top, and you can see down into Devil's Den. And when you, you look down, you can see there's always other groups of paranormal investigators down there. You can see their lasers, and you can see their flashlights and their camera lights. You know, because the area is so filled with activity that literally, you, there's probably, I venture to guess, probably 30 to 40 groups a night spread throughout that town investigating
0: at least I would
2: say, you know, beside the fact that you have all the ghost tours that go through the area um, on you know on a summer night when it's warm out, there are ghost tours going starting at like eight o'clock at night, and literally every other block, and sometimes two to a block have <laughs> ghost tours. And during the daytime, they're all trying to get you to go on their tour. And at night, you see them going, you know, it's some, some man or woman dressed in period clothing with a lantern, taking a group through the streets and telling them all the ghost stories. And some groups take you on actual investigations afterward. But it's, just, it's really interesting because that whole city is just, you know, has activity everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because at night, the whole battlefield, it changes. It's almost like the air is being let out of a balloon, but it doesn't quite pop yet. Um, it's, it's the closest way I can think of it because you can sort of feel the exhalation, like the land is just going, this is it for another day. But it's at night when all of that energy from the battery that's being, that is absorbed during the day is released. So all of this stuff that happens at night, it's almost like they're fighting the battle at night, but where they are, it's daytime, and they're just reliving this hell over and over and over again. That's the feeling I get when I'm there and, and at night, and it's just completely creepy, because I'm half expecting somebody to walk up and try to shoot through me.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... it's And, well, you had that that one time where you felt like...
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. At yeah. the, We were going into the Peach Orchard, I think we were driving through, and um, he didn't tell me, I had never been to Gettysburg before, the first time I had ever been there was in 2012, and um, one of the things that he had read was that certain people, when they are approaching the Peach Orchard from um, from the road, they feel like bullets are piercing their body. I didn't know this, and I reached up and I was rubbing my left shoulder, and he's like, what's the matter? I said, I got a sharp pain in my shoulder. Um, It almost kind of feels like I was shot, and it was a dull, it was a sharp pain, but it wasn't like, you know, life-threatening where I'm going to walk and I'm going to be, you know, walking into the nearest emergency room with blood pouring down or a heart attack. But I could feel like the entrance in the front, and I could feel the exit wound in the back, and that's when he told me that some people reacted that way to that particular stretch of the battle.
2: Yeah, I mean, because I had done a lot of research on the area, and um, I kept a lot of it to myself. So in case Jen did have any feelings or sense, you know, sense um, senses that. Um, she, you know, I, I could Verify when she told me she felt something I could say, yeah, okay That is supposed to be what you're feeling around here Without her, you know, knowing so I could verify it
0: He wasn't going to be feeding me any information That I might subconsciously use
2: Right, and, that, and I think that's important So we're going to step away And take about A minute break And we will come right back We're not going to be gone that long Hold on, folks
1: Welcome to Intermission <laughs> mission.
2: Okay, we are back. So, we did some investigating over the last couple of weeks. Last weekend, we got out to do a little bit of investigating, and this weekend, we did some investigating. Um, Last week, we went to Sandy Hook, New Jersey, and we stopped at, at one point, at Port Monmouth, where the Seabrook Wilson house is. It's also known as the Spy House. And we did some investigating there. Um, it was it was a very interesting place. It's it's been in several publications over the years and several websites as being one of the most haunted houses in the United States. Um, there are people who believe that it's haunted by not one but five different spirits. You know, um, Jen, what do you know about the house?
0: Well. It was first built in um, 1663 by New Jersey's first known settler um, when he came to New Jersey in 1648. Um, his name was Thomas Whitlock, and they lived there for quite a while um, when it was When it was bought by Thomas Seabrook, that's sort of where it became known as the Seabrook-Wilson House. He was a patriot in the New Jersey militia during the Revolutionary War. So I think part of what they would do during the Revolutionary War is they operated this as a tavern. So what he would do is he would get all the British soldiers drunk and then try to pull tactical information out of them. That's how it became known as the Spy House. Um it's pretty much was in the same family for about 250 years and then they would add on to it here and there um, then in the 1900s it was operated as a as a bed and breakfast or um, or a summer inn it's right down on the Jersey shore it's literally right on the beach so it was an ideal location
2: right and you know people over the years um, they used they used, well they 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 give tours on the inside but the group that owns it now is not who owned it previously and the previous group when they would give tours would actually embrace the paranormal history of it Um, and they really couldn't deny it because so many people would would see things while they were there. Apparitions, um, hear footsteps and things like that. They really couldn't deny it. Unfortunately, the the Group that's taken over now is kind of suppressed the paranormal history behind it. Uh, they don't really talk about it. If you ask, they'll change the subject. Well, we went there after hours. Uh, we didn't have access to the inside, but we didn't need it because the thing about the house is that the grounds around the house are just as haunted as the inside. There's stories of of a child who wanders around the house um people get uh apparitions when they take photos outside they get evps so we went there and at first when we walked up you didn't really get a strong feeling
0: no i didn't feel anything when we first got there it wasn't until we got over to the opposite side of the house which faces the woods so if you are looking at the back of the house that faces the ocean the front of the house faces now what's a road there's a a development across from it we were on the left hand side which is closest to the woods that's where i started to feel like there was something following me through the property um it wasn't malicious Nothing that we've investigated has ever felt that way to me. Um, more curious as to what we were doing, um, so we decided that we were going to do an e v p session there and see what we could find
2: and we did a traditional e v p session you know with a with a regular voice recorder. then we used a spirit box, and we did get um some some reactions from the spirit box. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where, the thing about the spirit box is, you know, you're recording it, it's not always easy to make out what it says at that point, when it says it. So it's it's one of the things where I've listened back to it on the recorder, and even though there is definitely speech there, I can't make out what it's saying. Um... It sounds like we got a name of Bob.
0: Which we thought we heard at the time.
2: Right. And that when we heard that three different times. Yes. Um, And that's something we could make out clearly. But the other stuff almost sounded at times like two people speaking to each other. And I couldn't make out what it was. Uh, It's one of those things where I'm going to have to um, go through it. Go through it... um, you know, second by second, playing it slow and going back and forth, you know, re-listening to it to kind of make out what it's saying. Um, and that, that's one of the problems I have with the spirit box is that, yes, you do seem to get um, good reaction, but you can't always make out what's being said, you know. Um, but what were, what were some of your other initial impressions when you, you know, were there?
0: Um, it was just one entity, not, I didn't get multiple entities. Um, so I don't know whether it was whoever we were trying to communicate with wasn't interested or was tired or had just decided that they were going to ignore us. Um, it was one entity. It felt kind of young to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know whether or not it was the, the, child that some people have felt that they've seen in this house, Um, but it did feel kind of young, almost like a mischievous, and it sort of, it felt like it actually followed me around the house a little bit, or around the grounds.
2: Right, right. So now, this weekend, we um, took a trip to Boston and then Salem, Massachusetts, and we did a little bit of investigating at the Burying Point Cemetery. Um, It's the oldest uh, burying ground in the city of Salem. It was established in 1637. Um, The thing about it is that no one from the witch trials is actually buried there because they were considered evil and wouldn't be buried in a public cemetery. But you have notable people who... Were buried there, uh, Captain Richard Moore. Um, he was a Mayflower passenger. Um, Justice John Hathorn, who was part of the witchcraft court. Uh, Samuel uh, McIntyre, who was a famous architect of the day. Governor Simon Bradstreet, Chief Justice ben, uh, Benjamin Wind, and Reverend John Higginson were buried there, amongst others. Um, A cemetery that old, in an area that tragic, just, you could feel the energy when you're there. Um, What, 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 can you tell us a little bit more about the history of the cemetery, Jen? The
0: history of the cemetery. um...
2: Or even the area, I mean, around it.
0: Well, the thing is, is that... um... Salem was broken up into two areas. It was Salem Village and Salem Town. Um they both had distinct um identities, I guess is probably the best way to say it. So when um when the witch trials were starting um they decided that um they were going to hear what's called spectral evidence from a variety of different girls. You guys probably know the history of Salem just as much as we do. Um, But what's interesting now is that um, where the actual burial ground is, is is in what used to be known as Salem Town. Um, which is now just the village of Salem and is kitschy beyond belief. So if you like all witches and Harry Potter and all that stuff, this is your place to go because these are your people. We found your tribe. Um, The part that most people don't know is that the neighboring town of Danvers in Massachusetts used to be Salem Village. Um, They were so ashamed after... In the aftermath of what happened with the witch trials that they've actually completely divorced themselves from that identity, they changed the name of the town and if you mention it there, people get extremely upset because it's a big it's a big dark secret there, and they just don't want to talk about it
2: unlike you know unlike Salem itself, which has embraced the uh the witch trials and every way you look there's you know the, the witchcraft museum the witch uh, you know witchcraft museum village and mm-hmm. there there's just throughout the town right. you know every souvenir shop ever has you know uh your witch um uh, paraphernalia mm-hmm. you know and and then there are occult shops there there's a school of magic there and you know there's mm-hmm. just a lot that they embrace the history of it but the cemetery is so old and we're not certainly not the first team to ever go in there and do an investigation. And I know we're not going to be the last. But it's investigated so much and always seems to give off evidence uh, for different groups who go there and in different locations. Now, we were walking through the cemetery. And through part of it, Jen didn't get anything. We hit the back... well. Yeah, the, yeah back, the
0: back left corner.
2: Back left corner of the cemetery where you got, um, you—that's where you broke out with the, you know, the uh, goosebumps. Yeah, you know, all right. up and down your arms, um, and you felt like something was there in the corner.
0: Mm-hmm. Might have been listening to the band that was playing, that was doing a very bad Van Morrison cover, but um, I happened to like Van Morrison, so, um, so there were. There was something there. It was an energy, and it was located... The way that it was set up is that in the very left-hand corner, there was a tree with a single grave under it. Um, In a spot of about 10 feet, it was completely empty. There was just grass, and people, I think, had been probably tramping through there, so there was dirt spots as well. Um, And next to that, to the right, was um, another... like. It was a very large bush, and there was another grave under there, and that's where I got the sensation. And Usually, it's an either-or. Either I'll get the chills, or I'll get the the migraine sensation across the back of the head. I had both of them at exactly the same time. I had a very strong hit for me. Um, And then when um, I was reading what the the stone said, um, Lance also got a hit on one of the um, devices little devices that he was using so
2: it's you know and we learned something over at um was it caps Bury ground in boston? cops cops Buried ground yes. at boston
0: we have a tendency to go to places that have the same sorts of sounds in their names right
2: um what we learned there and, and jen can tell you more about it is that they you have to be careful when you're when you're investigating because you can read a name off of a gravestone, and it can completely not be the person who's there. And she could explain why.
0: What happened? What used to happen was, um, in those times, the materials that they used to create tombstones were hard to come by. Um, so what they would do is they would recycle. It's probably the very first recycling program that we ever had in the U.S. Um, so what they would do is... If somebody had been buried for a while, they would take that tombstone, um, flip it over, turn it around, and then create another tombstone on the other Backside. side of it. So you don't know. I mean, it could be you could be reading one person's name on the back, or you could be reading another person's name on the front, and there's not quite a way to know who it's supposed to be.
2: So essentially what they would do is they would take that tombstone, take it off of someone else's grave... Use it on another grave, flip it, flip it, you know, the back facing front and engrave that side of it with the current person.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, if you're, in a, if you're in an old graveyard, you may not be able to tell which was actually the front or back. So if you're trying to, say, communicate with a spirit there, you could be totally talking to the wrong person. And yeah. it's, something, it's something that as long as we've been doing this, I never heard of before. And we just learned this.
0: Yeah, it? literally over the weekend. And when we were in Copse Hill, I happened to see one of the tombstones where this happened. The, the one was right side up, and I saw the dates on it. But then when I looked at the back of it, everything looked like it was upside down because that was the side that they, that was the original side.
2: And there were several in that cemetery that were like that, where they were written on both sides. That one happened to be like she said, it was upside down on the other side. But it's something to look out for when you're investigating, because again, it's something we didn't know, and you know we've been doing this for a while. It's you know it's always interesting when you find out these tidbits of information. And again, that that goes back to the history portion of investigating. You know. Um, so what we're gonna do now is we're just gonna take one quick uh, break. Gonna play a quick song, and I'm gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about. Um, we're gonna talk about the the. Uh, season debut of Ghost Hunters and, and Ghost Adventures so we'll be right back hold on and listen to this
1: Crap, baby, move over here And maybe buy some of mine
2: We are back. So, you're listening to the Paranormal Pulse Podcast. I'm Lance. I'm Jennifer. And we're here to continue on with the show. So, we got around to watching the first episode of Ghost Hunters. Um, Both of us watched that, and I watched the first episode of Ghost Adventures that premiered. And both shows have changed. You can feel the change. Mm -hmm. um we'll start with ghost hunters that's one we both saw what was your initial uh impression of the show this year of the you know uh season debut
0: i think that jason is stacking the deck by bringing on every single family member he's got um You know, but I guess that's the whole point of why we investigate and how we sort of do this. We bring on the people that we know are going to be like-minded, you know. Um, I think the vibe of it has changed for me a little bit. It's been changing slowly since Grant left. Um, But now that Amy and Adam are gone, it's changed even more. Um, It seemed a little, it seemed less lighthearted. Like in the past, they always had those times when they'd be sitting there and you could just see the silliness coming out. Um, There was less of that in this one. Although
2: we did get a little of it from Dustin and KJ.
0: We did get a little bit of it, but there's much less of that um, humor. Mm. Um, It seemed, and I don't know whether that's because they're trying to make it more, they're trying deliberately to make it more serious or if that's just the vibe of the group now that people have left.
2: Well, you know, the funny thing was, and this is really not really has a lot, doesn't really have a lot to do with the episode, but does a little bit. They were investigating the wild turkey um distillery mm-hmm. and Steve kept making jokes about taking the bourbon and smelling the bourbon. And when we were at the um Bruce Tango Staring Man um movie premiere, there was a time when I was sitting talking or standing talking to Steve Gonzalez. I mean, we were having a nice conversation. A woman wanted to come over and take a picture, and he had probably it was either a rum or a bourbon in his hand. I'll never forget it because he didn't know what to do with the drink, and I looked at him and said, "Just give me, I'll hold it." And he's like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "Yeah." And I'm holding his drink while he's taking pictures with all these people. Now I'm stuck because I can't go away because I'm holding his drink. (laughs) <laughs> and and now, what was some people coming up and there were like three or four people getting online to take his picture and talk to him, and I'm just kind of stuck there holding his drink, like his. You know, it was it was just a funny uh, thing. And then he was really cool. I get back to him after, but he had so many people come up. I just I literally had to stand there and watch, almost like I was his sidekick. I'm pretty
0: sure that wasn't a joke on the show. <laughs> I honestly think that if they had counted the inventory, there would have been three or four bottles missing.
2: Probably um, now. I thought the cast, I thought it was nice that the first segment they gave you was with, um, and we're not going to spoil it by giving away a lot of what they found or anything, But in case you haven't seen it, but I thought the first segment was really nice in the fact that they put uh, Steve and Dave together in that first segment. Yeah. And I always thought they'd make a really good team. I mm-hmm. think they make a better team than than Jason and Steve.
0: I do, too. Um because again, I, I think for me, the reason that they worked is because they could play off of each other a lot better. Like, I think that Jason and Grant had that same sort of ability to play off of each other. I, it seems a little more stiff when it's it's Jason and Steve. I could be wrong. I don't know the relationship behind behind the scenes. Um, and I know that they've been friends for a lot longer than Jason and Grant, but there's a different dynamic when the two of them are together, and it doesn't always work for me.
2: Right, and what I found interesting was in the opening credits, they talk about, intri- you know, and we'll have new investigators, and they show KJ and Dustin, but I'm like, they're not really new. They're just recycled investigators. Let's be honest and call it the way it is.
0: New to the season.
2: New to the season, you know. But they did add uh, Kristen Luman who was originally on Ghost Mind. I talked about that on the last uh, show. And I liked her addition to the show. I, I you know, but I liked her on Ghost Mind as well. So, um
0: I don't have any I, know you I never didn't watch it. it so. Yeah.
2: Um but I think she's a good investigator and I think she kind of her personality kind of meshed really well, you know. I mean, she wasn't um mm-hmm. she was in two or three segments. Mm-hmm. So, she was there, she had a prominent role. I think they did a good job of that balancing out every all the investigators.
0: Yes, I agree with that. And what I did like about her is that she comes with the degree in psychology, so she has a lot of it's a different sort of scientific knowledge. She has a lot of experience with how people relate to things. So, I think that that's something that is going to be interesting to see how they use in the in future episodes.
2: Right, and I know she's not a permanent addition to the cast, but she will be on several episodes. They said so. That's going to be interesting. They put KJ and Dustin together, and I thought that was a good dynamic. Um, they they offered up some yucks, you know.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: did. And I like the way they investigate. Um, I've always been a. I know some people don't like KJ, but I've always been a big fan of his, even from when he was originally on the show. And I've been a big fan of Dustin, you know. So I kind of like the fact that they're there. Um, the people I miss, though, I do miss Britt. I always was a big fan of Britt's, and he's not there, obviously. Um, and Amy and Adam, uh, although I liked, they were not my favorites, so I don't miss them as much, you know. Um, but I I thought, I thought it was a good dynamic, and I thought it was a good case. The thing I noticed, though, is they're not breaking... Any new grounds as far as equipment they're using. Um, they don't try all the experimental stuff that Ghost Adventures does. They kind of stick to the same gear all the time. The only thing that they did add, and it's not really anything new, but they added the We Are One uh, iPhone uh, thermal camera. But Even though it's a new sort of technology, it really isn't because it's just another thermal camera. It's just a different version of it that you can use, you know, on your iPhone. Um, I would like to see them get into some more of the experimental stuff. Now, one of the big problems is that how many companies are making a lot of the new experimental stuff? Not many. Digital dowsing is one of the, you know, is really the trailblazer in that. And... He signed an exclusive deal with Ghost Adventures. Right. So I don't know what's going to be available to them, um, you know, as far as new equipment. And there really isn't a ton new out there except for the stuff that Digital Dadosing keeps rolling out, you know.
0: But I don't necessarily, I disagree with you. I don't necessarily think that they need to have um, new equipment. What I think that they're doing is they are investigating with most of the same equipment that teams like us would have. Um, and it's going back to proving their original point that you can catch evidence with just, you don't need a lot of different sorts of equipment. Uh, people like you and me and, and Rick and, you know, and all of our friends who do this, we don't have access to the same sorts of equipment that a Ghost Adventures would have because we don't have that much money. And those things, the experimental stuff, costs a lot of money to do and design and to make. So I think well, it's more realistic from the ghost hunter side than it would be from the ghost adventures. Do you know what I mean?
2: But we actually use a lot more equipment than ghost hunters do. We use a lot more equipment that ghost adventures uses than ghost hunters.
0: Speak for yourself. I only use dowsing rods. Right. Well, that's true.
2: <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm definitely myself. Yes. Um. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. well, you know we have closets full of gear we do um
0: it's disgusting
2: yeah well <laughs> we I mean, the thing about us is we're a small team, but yet I could cover a you know a full size prison and have cameras on every level, just about you know um I'm a gearhead, I always have been, whether it be you know in my music um you know just the way I am. As you always say, I'm gadget guy.
0: Yes, you're the gadget guy. Are we really going to go through all of your no. hobbies?
2: No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> now, Ghost Adventures was a total different feel this year as far as the opening episode. Um, they they Their location was in Edinburgh, Virginia, I believe. I'd like to say. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but I believe that's where it was. And... It was interesting in the fact that um, they, the, they, they had a different show opening. And Zach Baggins, his his, um, his credit on the opening is host and executive producer, which I found weird. It wasn't investigator lead investigator. It was host and executive producer. And then they introduced, you know, obviously Aaron as the lead investigator. And then Billy and and um Jay. But they what I liked is that in years past Billy and Jay were in the background. No, they were equal parts of the of the opening of the show, which I thought was telling and watching the episode um it was really good because they were equal parts again of the four of them investigating. It wasn't just showing Jay and Billy sitting back at a control center watching cameras. There was Jay out, uh, Jay Wasley out with a camera with Aaron and Zach, you know, basically fulfilling the Nick type of role right there. Um, There was segments with with, uh, Billy Tully investigating by himself in areas. Um, And I thought that was kind of cool especially since we've met Jay Wazley a few times. Several times at this point. And he's a really nice guy, uh, him and his wife. Um, So I kind of root for him because he's been so cool to us too. Um, But what I liked was when they were going through the walkthrough, and you didn't see this, but they didn't bring up the fact that it was a demon or evil. Oh, good. One of the but one of the people they interviewed about the place did say that there was an evil entity there, but they didn't really dwell on that. They didn't really um, go into everything being demonic. You were gonna say?
0: I, I was just looking up Edinburgh Manor.
2: Is Edinburgh right? Manor? Edinburgh Manor right was okay. the. Yes, it was the asylum that they were at.
0: Um, Sorry, I was just trying to figure out where it was. The
2: thing about it is it hasn't been closed that long.
0: Okay.
2: Um, I believe it only closed in 2009. Yet, if you look at it, it's falling apart almost as bad as a Letchworth would be, which just amazed me at the decay in such a short period of time. Um, But with it, with the episode, and again, I won't ruin it. It, it, I found it to be really interesting. There were definitely um, activity. Obviously, very excited, very dramatic, unlike, you know, Ghost Hunters. But that's the way Ghost Adventures is. It's, it's very over-the-top, you know. Um, and again, I don't want to give away spoilers in case anybody hasn't seen it. I would say watch it. They used some experimental gear that Bill Chapel had. Billy Tully had a great segment uh, on it. And although no one was possessed, you know, you had the the reactions of Zach. you know, mm-hmm. being overwhelmed by the energy around him as, you know. But I, I thought it was a good episode. It, it definitely worth a watch, you know. And I know... People stand very divided on Ghost Adventures. They either love them or they hate them. There's very little in between. So I'm a fan, you know. Um, our team's actually an official uh, Ghost Adventures uh, team. So, you know, I, I've always liked them, you know, and doesn't mean we investigate like them, but because we don't, we're not that type of team. But I thought it was really interesting. I mean, what's, what's your feeling on. I mean, I know you didn't see the episode, but you know the four members they have now.
0: I know the four members. Um, I, I like certain things that they do. I like that they're willing to experiment and try new things and try different ways to try to communicate. What I don't like is the fact that in every episode, Aaron gets the poop scared out of them. Somebody gets possessed. I mean, there's. It's become a formula, even though it's not supposed to be a formula. It's sort of become formulaic for me. And in case anybody's interested, Edinburgh Manor is in Scotch Grove, Iowa. Oh, just, Iowa.
2: Okay. Well, I. Okay. You said Virginia, Virginia, right?
0: It ends with an A. Yeah. There you um, go. So, I, I, I like some of the stuff that they do, um, but then at the end of the day, it. I think everybody has to remember that they're filmmakers first and that they're TV showmakers first. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to catch the interest as fast as possible, as soon as possible and keep you hooked. And I think that that's the mindset that they have when they, when they go out and they investigate.
2: Yeah. I mean, they definitely, it's a more sensationalized version of ghost hunting without a doubt. I thought they were, they went a little bit off the formula. And that's why I think I liked this episode It wasn't the same formula, especially getting the other cast members involved. So I thought they kind of deviated from it. But yeah, there was still that—you knew you were watching Ghost Adventures. It wasn't like they were breaking new ground, you know. But I enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing the rest of the episodes. And um, we're going to step away and and end the show here. Going to play out with a song, and I think it's kind of funny. But I enjoyed having you with us today, and I enjoyed having my lovely wife Jen with me.
0: Great! Thank you so much. It was really fun.
2: Yeah, and you know she's going to come back again and host some other shows with me, and we'll talk about some other things. And, um, but I definitely want to introduce you guys to her. She's you know she's the uh, rock that keeps me going. So you know, um, everybody should know that. But th- once again, thank you. Oh, I do have something to ask you guys real quick. Um, anybody who listens to us using iTunes, I need a favor. I need you guys to go to iTunes. And drop us a review there. And the reason why I ask that is because what happens is they won't give us a star review until we get over a certain amount of ratings. And we're not at that point. And it's interesting because we've had almost 800,000 hits. And yet I've had very few people leaving reviews. And I know you guys like it because you keep coming back and listening. And and we're getting good numbers. And you guys email us and, and send us messages and whatnot. But I need reviews, and the reason why is because we won't get listed um, into the rating system until you guys give us enough reviews, so that's all I ask, so you just go there, you know, give us, if you love the show, give us a review, quick review, enter your star rating, and, you know, as we get more of them and we get to a certain point, we'll start. you'll start to see us listed up there with all the other shows, you know. Um, right now it's, it's a little tough because people have to search us out specifically where once we have enough of a, of a rating system where we have an actual star rating, when people go and just hit you know, uh, you know, when they're just browsing, we'll come up in their browser and people will find us accidentally and help the show grow. So I really would appreciate that. Again, just go to iTunes and give us a review through iTunes. That would be great. And thank you as always. And take a listen to this and we'll see you next week.
1: godly charm whoa, 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 whoa. walking down the hall the dentist loomed through the door